the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's Spot Track Podcast is brought to you, as always, by Morgan Stanley Global Sports and Entertainment, empowering professional athletes and entertainers with the knowledge they need to make informed decisions about finances and wealth. Visit morganstanley.com slash GSE. Morgan Stanley Smith Barney LLC member SIPC. Good Thursday morning. My name is Mike Giannetti, managing editor of SpotTrack.com. We're going to dive into a lot of NFL today, uh, mostly for 2020. We're going to talk Pro Bowl. Um, I've got some axes to grind <laughs> with the Twitterverse, which I know is always a, a dangerous water to step into, but I'm going to, I'm going to start there. Uh, we'll talk about some of the numbers, some of the names on the Pro Bowl rosters real quickly. We'll take our spin on it. Then I've got a little bit of a, uh, a deep dive into how these NFL playoff teams are sort of built financially, where they rank among the positions, things like that. Pretty interesting stuff. We'll dive into that real quick, and then we'll finish the show with Major League Baseball free agency. Uh, there's, there's more news to unpack on Garrett Cole. We're going to talk about some of the remaining free agents. There's uh, a lot to get to today, and let's start right off with the NFL Pro Bowl. I'm not going to talk snubs. I know Dak Prescott statistically probably should have been on this roster. Look, the Pro Bowl is a dying art. Let's be fair. I never watch. I watch everything, and I don't watch that. So knowing that alone, it's uh, I, I know it's not a good product. But I can understand the, the need for some sort of incentive-based end-of-the-year <laughs> extravaganza, whatever you want to call it. Uh, the, the reason I bring it up, and, and we, we bring it up on Track a lot, is that many of these players have, have incentives built in. Uh, let's talk Richard Sherman, for instance, uh, a guy who negotiated his own contract in some ways to a fault and in some ways to a positive. But uh, there's no denying that him, a player of his caliber doing that was a big step forward. It, it opened a lot of eyes to, I think, front offices, to normal fans, and certainly to other players who pay attention to this kind of stuff, um, interact with guys like myself and ask questions and really start to try to learn this stuff because they're not only are they interested because it is their own livelihood, but number two, the, the, the chance to be able to do something like Richard Sherman did is right there for you. I mean, it, agents are great. Agents know their stuff. And if you, you know, if, if you want to hand off the, uh, the negotiation process and the contract process to an agent that, that I'm never going to say, don't do that. But if, and when you want to save yourself three to 5% and you feel you can, represent yourself in a way that is fair and gets you, you know, everything you need protection wise, do it. I think Sherman did a, a halfway decent job here to be, to be perfectly frank and to be perfectly fair. There are some things I think he over, uh, maybe underestimated about the contract, like his, uh, his ridiculous incentive laden, you know, bet on me. I'm going to be great still. And if I am, I'll get paid. It, it, it went to a little too far. It went a little too far. He, uh, and we saw what happened 18, 12 to 18 months later with safeties, and, and we're going to see it with cornerbacks now this year. Uh, you don't really have to, to ask too hard to get what you need. The safety market reset when none of us were really calling for it to reset last offseason. So I, I do think he left some, some, uh, some fruit hanging on the tree. But look, he's a, he's a pro bowler, and this is what that means for Richard Sherman. It means he now has $1 million of his per active game bonus next year converted into salary. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean he's going to get that salary. He's going to be 32 years old. He's, in, he's banged up right now. There's a minute chance that the 49ers look to move on from him. I don't think it's 
a good chance at all. So, you know, that $1 million incentive may never hit his pocket if that's the case. I think it's more likely he's a 49er next year. And on April 1st, which is the target date for 99% of the 49ers contracts, that's just how they operate business. So on April 1st, his now $8 million salary will fully guarantee. So uh, it's not exactly a Pro Bowl bonus. It's a Pro Bowl escalator, and he'll have a chance to make that come April 1st. So pretty neat little uh, little caveat that Sherman built into his contract. Like I said, I think he went a little too far with the incentive-laden stuff for, as a whole, uh, but he bet on himself here with the Pro Bowl, and it worked out. So good for him. If he makes the All-Pro team, it's another $2 million. <laughs> So. Uh, there are, there are, there's more money to be had on this contract. It's not a simple, basic, structured deal by any means. Like I said, it's a small signing bonus, halfway decent base salaries, but he's got to go out and play to really make his money. And this was sort of step number one in that process. Um, outside of that, let's talk about the rosters themselves. I don't want to get into you know who made it, who didn't make it, like I said. I want to talk about the players that did make it. What is the financial landscape of them? And here's where I have to get on Twitter. I pushed a tweet out a couple days ago, or maybe it was yesterday. I don't even remember. It's been a blur. <laughs> okay. I pushed a tweet out that simply said, this is the AFC quarterbacks. This is the NFC quarterbacks. And these are their average salaries. And when you combine them, one is like 9.8 million and the other is like 90 million. Okay. Just there, no other context. No, I didn't offer an opinion. <laughs> I just said, these are the facts. Okay. Because these are the facts. I, I am perfectly aware that Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes, and Deshaun Watson are going to make ridiculous money in 12 to 18 months, okay? I get it. I know it. I promise you there is probably no one out there who is more on the, on the beat of those contracts that are coming. But those contracts are not here right now. They are pro bowlers right now, okay? As are Russell Wilson, Drew Brees, and Aaron Rodgers, who, make, who have been playing a lot longer, have way bigger contracts, and therefore their sum is 90, okay? It's just a fact. I I heard so much feedback, negative feedback, from this simple little tweet saying, how can you write this? These guys are on rookie contracts. That is the point. That's the point, people, okay? They're pro bowlers on rookie contracts. That's an amazing feat. That's not easy to do, okay? Because you've got guys like Russell Wilson and Drew Brees and Aaron Rodgers and Phillip Rivers and, and many other veterans out there right now, okay? These guys are... These guys came to the league, took it over, and it's theirs now on rookie on rookie deals. Good for the teams, good for them. That's all I'm saying. And, and look, it's a pretty incredible split, right? AFC versus NFC. If Dak Prescott makes the NFC squad, it's a little different conversation, of course, because Dak's one of the lowest paid starting quarterbacks in all of football. All right? So, but it's not. That's not what happened. What happened was three gigantically paid NFC quarterbacks made it and three ridiculously lowly paid AFC quarterbacks made it. It's just how it worked out, and it's just a fact. I just tweeted it out because it was interesting, okay? I, I perfectly understand that in two years' time, those three AFC quarterbacks are probably going to be back in the Pro Bowl, and they're going to account for $120 million, okay? I get it. I'll tweet it then. I promise. All right? But I just had to get that off because I, I certainly was not alluding to anything here. All right? And I wasn't fudging the numbers, and I wasn't trying to put anyone's opinion a- aside here. I-, I-, I understand what's coming, but right now, in this snapshot, that's what happened. That's who was al- selected to the Pro Bowl, and that's the financial breakdown for it. So take, for, take it for what you will. 
but it was literally just a look at the left and look at the right, and it's pretty different. That's it. Okay. All right. Let's talk about the rest of these rosters as a whole in terms of their average salaries right now. So I'm, I'm talking average salaries. Um, where do they rank positionally? You know, how many, num- how many top, paid, top average paid players for each position actually made the Pro Bowl? Um, things like that. It, it's, it's probably not as many as you think. It's not a small number, but it's not as many as you think. So let's talk top five. All right, top five paid players at their position. How many of those players made the Pro Bowl? For the AFC, it's only 12. It's less than 30% of the Pro Bowl consists of top five paid players for their position. For the NFC, it's a little more. It's about 37%. So um, I, I don't think there's an AFC versus NFC discussion to be had. I think there are more rookie quarterbacks and maybe more rookie weapons starting in the AFC right now. I don't, I don't have physical data to back that up. It just seems like off the top of my head when I think, that's probably the landscape right now. Um, but look at when you're talking about the number one paid player at their position, the NFC dominates here, and especially with the Pro Bowl. Pro Bowlers who are the number one uh, paid at their position in the NFC, Russell Wilson, quarterback, Zeke Elliott, running back, Julio Jones, wide receiver, Kyle Juszczyk, the fullback, can't forget them. By the way, the number one and number two paid fullback made this Pro Bowl. Brandon Brooks, the the guard, Khalil Mack, of course, Aaron Donald, of course, and Bobby Wagner recently signed to the number one inside linebacker contract. So you're you're getting what you paid for in the NFC, is my point. And that's, that's good to see. That's good to see. You want your, you want your superstars and your high-paid players to perform because that's how you keep this train rolling with the uh, increased salaries, increased salary cap, things like that. Uh, right now, the AFC is just a bargain. <laughs> it's just, look, the, even the quarterbacks that could have made it, right? Josh Allen, for instance, is on the lower threshold than many of these quarterbacks we're talking about. I mean, he was a, a, a mid-first-round pick, essentially. So the... Uh, the AFC's got some catching up to do, and it's just a timing thing. Like I said, there are there's just more weapons on rookie contracts right now out there, and uh, their time is coming. We'll be having a different discussion, I think, in two years with how the AFC uh, shakes out a little bit. But what about players that are that might need a contract? How many of those players made the Pro Bowl? Because that's a uh, that's maybe more relevant to what we're talking about here, um, because contracts that are that come from players who have monster prime years generally do well and the, the the one to talk about right off the bat is derrick henry because we've had so many discussions about running backs on this show and really just everywhere i mean everybody's talking running backs because these guys are still going out there and killing themselves and performing derrick henry's this is his time of year i mean we've seen it over and over now for his throughout his rookie deal he uh he's a slow starter but when the when the train gets rolling derrick henry just piles on yards now here's what he doesn't do derrick henry doesn't catch the ball and right now Catching the ball as a running back is really the only leverage you have to get yourself up to the big boy money, um, in my opinion. When I, and it's becoming more and more difficult to value these guys, but when I do get a good value on a running back, it's because they're a five-tool player, essentially. Um, so he's, he's the notable free agent on this list, in my opinion, because I can't put Drew Brees. He, he's, of course, on an expiring contract, but I don't think any, anybody in the world thinks Drew Brees is playing for anybody but the Saints. Or, or sitting on his couch next year. That's just my opinion. Uh, but Derrick Henry, to me, is the, uh, the golden free agent on this Pro Bowl roster. It's going to be a tough call. The franchise tag for a running back is going to be about $10 million, uh, which isn't crazy. I think he signs it if they tag him. I do think that. But uh, we'll see. 
I think it's he's he's probably a tough player to 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 evaluate and and a tough player to move on from because of everything we've talked about. And he has stabilized that uh, that Tennessee offense along with Ryan Tannehill, who oh by the way also needs a contract. A uh, couple of defensive players to talk about though who are on this Pro Bowl roster but need a contract. Marcus Peters uh, traded to Baltimore from the Rams in a questionable move, of course, and. You know he's he hasn't been outstanding. He, I don't think he's ever going to be outstanding. His ceiling is sort of uh, is sort of visible at this point. He's a solid cornerback, and he's on a great defense right now. And to me, that marriage has to stay together. They have other fish they can let loose to account for it. They don't have a ton of cap space, which we'll talk about in a couple of minutes here. So uh, we'll see. This could, this is a player that's a maybe for for I think uh, a lot of people. Does he stay a Raven or does he hit the free agent market? Especially knowing that. Like I said, the cornerback market is due to be reset financially, and he's going to be lopped into this group, right, with this Tredavious White, this Jalen Ramsey, um, things like that. So I, I think the cornerback price could get as high as $18 million a year, where now it's at it's been at 15 for quite a while now. So um, can the Ravens afford that from a, a cash standpoint? Of course, especially if they have a, a really strong postseason run here. Um from a cap standpoint, they may have to be creative with how they, they sign Peters to get this done. It's also possible he's franchise, he's franchise tagged. That wouldn't be cap friendly, okay? You'd have to uh, really make some space to, to fit a franchise tag in for Marcus Peters. But because there might be a little bit of a, a back and forth on keeping him or not, even though he's had a Pro Bowl caliber year, um, that's, an op- that's definitely an option for Peters. And then the other one is Shaq Barrett, who... He signed one of my favorite things in the world, the, the one-year prove-it deal. Okay, We saw this with Tyron Matthew last year in Houston. He then cashed in in Kansas City this year. Uh, Shaq went to Tampa from, from Denver on a, on a basic one-year deal. You know, There's some incentives built into it, and uh, all he's done is <laughs> you know, dominated the run game, and he's got 13 and a half sacks. So if you think that's, uh, that's worth a new contract, you're not wrong. That is, uh, he's got a big, big payday coming. We've got him valued at about $16 million. He's sort of one of those inside-out guys. Um, you know, he's not going to be your Khalil Mack-type player, nor will he get Khalil Mack-type money. But he is certainly going to increase over the one-year prove-it deal that he signed in, in Tampa Bay this year. And I think from a, uh, from, a, from a team standpoint, Tampa is, you know, they're not at the bottom of the list anymore. I think there's some offensive holes they've got to fix, and their defense isn't great by any means. But Barrett has been, and uh, I just don't think this is a guy you let walk if you're Tampa Bay, even if you're not exactly in that window to, to contend right now. But, I mean, you paid this guy basically $5 million. It's, it's $4 million in base. He's going to make all of his sack incentives to push it up to an extra million dollars. So you got him for $5 million. You're going to have to triple that to keep him, in, in my opinion. You're going to have to triple it next year on a multi-year contract. So that's a, that's a Shaq Barrett, of course, a name to watch. Derrick Henry, of course, and Marcus Peters, looming free agents who made the Pro Bowl. And then outside of that, um, you know, you had your – we'll talk a few of the snubs. All right, we'll get there. Dak Prescott, of course, needs a contract. Of course, didn't make the Pro Bowl. I'm sure that's the name many of the shows are talking about these last couple of days. Uh, like I said, he doesn't care. He's the Dallas Cowboys quarterback. He's got a chance to win the division this week. Uh, against the Philadelphia Eagles. That's all that matters. Once he's in the postseason and the Dallas Cowboys are in the postseason, all is right. They are the highest-valued franchise in all of sports, uh, approaching $6 billion, 
And when you are the face of that franchise, like Dak Prescott currently is, I guess arguably, I mean, you know, Jerry is, of course, the face. And uh, you could say Zeke maybe might be a little bit more no- notable right now. But Dak's getting there. He's the quarterback of the, of the highest-paid franchise in all of sports. He's going to get his money, all right? They've got to stagger things. We've talked about this oomph times on this show. Um, Amari's been banged up. I think. Th- I think they. I really do think now, now that it's all played out, that the plan was to sign Amari Cooper this year, and his injuries have essentially put things on hold from both sides, because it's probably driven his price down internally, which made which made Cooper and his camp basically say, okay, then the deal's off. You know, we're not going to sign anything team friendly because I've got an ankle injury or or, or whatever he's dealing with right now. Um, so there's no rush. There's no rush on anybody's part. Now, certainly the guarantees aren't there for either of those players, Dak and Amari, but my thinking was at this point that Amar- it was always going to be we get done, Amari done first, and we, uh, we push Dak to the very last minute, and if we have the franchise, Dak will do it. Uh, that's coming. There's no question that Dak's getting a franchise tag unless he, will, unless he goes and wins the Super Bowl. Let's be fair. If he goes and wins the Super Bowl, the Dallas Cowboys, he's probably getting his multi-year contract the next morning. Okay? That's... That's just how Jerry seems to operate. Um, but it just seems like that's, that's where we're going. So no Pro Bowl for Dak. The money's coming in some form, whether it's a one-year franchise tag that turns into a multi-year extension. Maybe he plays on that franchise tag. I think he'd be crazy to do that, even though $27 million is a heck of an upgrade for him. Um, I just think from a, a guaranteed standpoint, you've got to get yourself three years guaranteed right now. That's your starting quarter, you're a legitimate starting quarterback. That's what you deserve. Um, and then for Amari, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, certainly Julio Jones pushed the bar. Chris Godwin on this Pro Bowl roster is going to be in need of a contract in the next two weeks, but uh, two years, excuse me, but he is also banged up. Um, so, again, there's going to be a, a pause on his negotiations, in my opinion, just to make sure that everything's back in form. He had a heck of a year. He's now had two, heck of a, two back-to-back years that uh, are worthy of an extension in Tampa Bay, and that's a team, like I said, if you're going to keep Jamison Fold, you need your Evans and your Godwin to go with it. You've got a decent set of tight ends, um, arguably, I guess. But you need those players. You let Adam Humphreys walk this year. Uh, you got to bring. You got to keep Chris Godwin in house. And if that means an extension this offseason, so be it. He's going to be, you know, your second tier wide receiver money, which at this point is about fifteen to sixteen million dollars a year. When you've got guys like Michael Thomas making nineteen, Julio making twenty-two. I mean, the the gap between Julio and the rest of the field is going to be big. That's a big, big number, and that's almost fully guaranteed for Julio, too. So that's Kelvin Johnson-esque, where not only is it big average salary, but it's almost all fully guaranteed. So good for, uh, good for Julio setting that market. Like I said, I expect the cornerback market to receive that treatment, and this position as well. The tight end market is, is due for a refresher, and the leader of that list is George Kittle. And if you haven't seen George Kittle this year, you are not watching football because he's been on a weekly highlight reel, and... He is Jimmy G's guy in San Fran. When, when Kittle is banged up and not available, the 49ers offense suffers. It's just a fact. It's just a fact. Um, they don't have a great set of wide receivers to go around them, and that's an upgrade they're going to look to make this offseason for sure. But for right now, Kittle is the, the peak threshold point for, uh, for Jimmy, Jimmy G right now. Uh, he's going to reset the market. right now. It's, a, it's, it's been $10 million on Jimmy Graham's contract for three years. So, uh, you know, Zach Ertz did, couldn't, couldn't push that threshold. Travis Kelsey didn't push that threshold. 
Uh, we need somebody to come in and really swing big on, on the tight end contracts, and that's going to be Kittle. And I think it gets to $12 million, All right, We're talking about a cap that's going to be close to $200 million now. And when you talk about rollover money for teams, and, and there's a lot of cap space to be had right now. So let's say the cap does get to $200 million. $12 million of that two hundred is, what, 6% for a, a tight end, yes, but also your biggest weapon, right? I mean, that's, that's gravy. That's nothing. Okay, I mean, when you're talking a quarterback is approaching 19 to 20% of the cap. Um, and guys like Julio Jones, even at 22 million on the 188 cap this year, you know, that's 11.7%. So the, the highest paid weapon in football in Julio Jones is it doesn't even approach 12% of the league cap. So if you're going to get Kittle at six, half that, that's a steal. So t- to me, 12 is maybe too, too much of a value still for a player of his caliber. But 12 would reset the tight end market, at least to some degree. So keep an eye on George Kittle this offseason, along with the Marcus Peters and the Derrick Henrys, of course. All right, let's move off the Pro Bowl, but I want to uh, remind you that Track and the Track podcast are partnered and sponsored by The Athletic. We are loving having The Athletic articles on our site, by the way. it's It's been great for me. I'm doing work on a specific team, and I see the updated, real-time, latest articles for that team from The Athletic right there on Spotrack's page. I click at least two or three a day because many of them are financial-based. Many of them have to do with contracts or free agency or trades or things that are happening um, alongside of what I'm already researching or, or running numbers on anyway. So there's so much synergy between what the, what the great writers over there are doing and what we're doing here at Spotrack. It just makes sense to have their contract on our site. And like I said, I... Every time I'm doing some sort of research on a player or team, uh, I'm looking to see what's been written about it really in real time. I mean, these guys are pumping out, these guys and gals are pumping out articles one, two a day at, at the minimum, to be honest. So keep up with it. Um, today's episode is brought to you by The Athletic. They're subscription-based sports news site. There's just so much to get into, not only locally, but across the nation. There's every sport available. And there's sports business articles as well. Anyone who's a fan of Track can find something on The Athletic that, that they'll be interested in, I promise you. You get detailed coverage of every trade, free agent signing, and all your team's storylines, as well as expert analysis from Ken Rosenthal, Michael Lombardi, Pierre Lebron, and all the analytic in- insights gurus as well. Join today, get 40% off your yearly subscription by going to theathletic.com slash spottrack 40 off. That's theathletic.com slash S-P-O-T-R-A-C 40 off. We're going to discuss a quick article from Ken Rosenthal from The Athletic, actually, who broke some news yesterday about Garrett Cole, the new Yankees ace. Expensive Yankees ace, but that's perfectly fine, I think, to every Yankees fan and everyone inside the Yankees organization, and, of course, Garrett Cole and Scott Boris. A uh, really neat little caveat built into this contract. So we knew there was an opt-out. So again, it's nine years, $324 million. But there's an opt-out available after the fifth year. So that's after 2024. Garrett Cole can get out of this thing if he wants. But he'd be leaving four years and $144 million on the table, which sounds crazy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Can't imagine we ever get to that point, but let's, let's put this in play. Let's say, let's say he's the same player five years from now. He's this dominant, top-of-the-rotation player. And, you know, this, this Yankees window where these kids are excellent and cheap have expired, right? I mean, these aren't, this isn't going to be the Yankees forever. There's so much value on that team, it's ridiculous right now. Um, so if the Yankees decide that they can't pay everybody or 
things don't go as planned over the next three, four years, and Garrett Cole is still a top-of-the-rotation player, he can opt out of this deal and hit free agency again. But the Yankees then can counter that opt-out and void it by extending that deal one more year at $36 million, making it a 10-year, $360 million contract. Uh, I have not seen this before in 12 years of doing financial information for sports. I have not seen this. This is bold, to say the least, because let's unpack it a little bit, right? Let's say Garrett Cole is... Let's, it's unrealistic to think he's going to be this player in five years, but let's say he's 80% of this player in five years, okay? He has developed, you know more movement on his ball, everything that an, that an aging pitcher needs to do to remain relevant and dominant, okay? That's what Justin Verlander's done. You, you know, your Greg Maddox's, all your great players who had to sort of morph into a second version of themselves that, for longevity purposes. Let's say Cole figures that out, okay? And he's not a, you know, a, a, just a flamethrower anymore in four years. And he knows that he could probably re-up, and let's say, you know, let's say the going rate right now and in five years is $42, $43 million. Somebody's going to pass $40 million in the next five years, you would have to think, right? I mean, Mookie Betts is coming up. Frankie Lindor is coming up. You're going to have your Bellingers and your judges in, in discussions at that point. Um, so $40 million is going to be a baseline at that point. So if, if Garrett Cole thinks that there's a five-year, what, at $45 million a year available to him, right? five-year, $225 million contract in free agency available to him, you opt out, okay? You opt out. But let's say he's 60% of himself, okay? Let's say it's teetering to 50-50, and he thinks he's still a player, and he thinks the Yankees still think he's a player, and the Yankees wouldn't allow the opt-out to happen. Right? Let's say they, he gets a sense that the Yankees are going to void that opt-out. It makes perfect sense to still opt-out, right? It's going to be a chess match because opting out can get him $36 million more. I mean, that's not for nothing. That's $36 million guaranteed, all right? I, I'm fascinated by this. I'm fascinated by how this could play out because essentially you're going to have player and team pitted against each other. Right? Right? Because Cole can opt out if he thinks the Yankees will void it to to essentially assure himself $36 million extra. And if the Yankees that don't end up voiding it, then, you know, he might be SOL. But I, I just love the idea that in four and a half years, there's going to be a discussion about who's going who's gonna to pull first, right? It's going to be hush-hush publicly, of course, because these sides are now pitted against each other, like I said. But I, I'm, I'm enthralled by the, the possibility of this coming down to the wire of, uh, you know, if I opt out, what's going to happen? Now, now maybe, I'm, maybe I'm reading way too much into this, and in five years there's going to be a very cordial conversation between the two parties, and this is what's going to happen. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, is it selfish for Cole to do that? Yes, but it's $36 million, people. I mean, <laughs> it's not a million-dollar bonus, you know, or a trade assignment bonus. It's $36 million. So I, I'm not, I would never blame somebody for, you know, trying to fleece the Yankees out of $36 million if they've, if they've offered it, right? If they've offered it, they've built it into the deal. 
So I, I, I love the uniqueness of this and the possibilities for this, but uh, something to keep an eye on for sure in the coming years. Uh, this could all be for nothing. I mean, Garrett Cole could turn south in three years. We've seen it happen way too many times with baseball contracts. Who knows? Who knows? Maybe he doesn't fit in New York. We've seen that too many times with players just flaming out when they get to New York. Um, there's a lot to unpack for sure, but he's there. He's, uh, he's going to get at least $324 million. We know that much. I can't imagine you opt out. That's the other part of this, though. Do you, re do you really opt out of $144 million? Just, to, just at the chance to get $36 million more? I don't know. I don't know. The, the more I think about it in my head, the more risky it might be. <laughs> I just I can't imagine. I mean, how old is he going to be at that point? Let me quickly look here. I, I know he's going to be 37 at the end of this nine-year deal. So at the point of opt-out, he'll be 34. That's right on the line, right? That's right on the line. 33, 30, 30, almost 34 years old. And he, we'll know who he is in, in three years. When you're 31, heading to 32, um, and you're getting closer to that opt-out year, I think we'll know what we have with Garrett Cole in the Yankees uniform. But keep an eye on it. Really interesting stuff. So wanted to bring that up. Baseball free agency as a whole is, has been great. It's been great. All right, we had big names last year in Bryce Harper, Manny Machado, Patrick Corbin. Those were your top three contracts. And as a, as a total, the 2019 free agency accounted for $1.8 billion of contracts. In 2020, heading into next season now, this free agency has already seen $1.5 billion. And there's some names left. I, I think we're going to surpass last year is my point. Um, some of those names... Josh Donaldson, okay? The, the Nats are pumping hard to make Josh Donaldson the replacement to Anthony Rendon in Washington. The Braves want to keep him. The Twins want him, and the Rangers want him. So there's, there's plenty of teams bidding for this guy. Uh, he's been successful wherever he's gone. He has bounced around. Um, you know, he's not long for, for any place usually, but I think there's probably a four-year deal on his, tape, on his plate at this point to kind of finish off his career. Uh, he's going he's gonna to hit a nice number here. It sounds like the, the Nats are kind of all in on him, and when that's, that's the case, the number generally gets pretty high. Same goes for Hung Jin Ryu, uh, the Dodgers pitcher, who's I guess the Dodgers don't want him at all because <laughs> I've heard absolutely nothing about Elliot bringing him back, but it's the Dodgers, so we can never count him out. Uh, the Angels certainly need somebody of his caliber. I, I hope the Angels are in. The team I've heard most closely linked to him is, are the Blue Jays, and the number I'm hearing is $18 million a year. So... Uh, that's a nice get for Ryu. That's about what he what he what he scored on his qualifying offer last year in LA. I think it was like seventeen point eight million. So eighteen million on a multi year contract, probably just fine for him. And then you've got guys like Nick Castellanos, um, just a, you know a, a power doubles homer guy, outfielder. Uh, the it seems like a great fit for the Cubs. And uh, Arizona's got to be in on a couple more players because now that they've signed Madison Bumgarner. You think you have to think that they're pushing. They won 85 games last year. Okay, they won 85 games, and you've got now got Robbie Ray and Madison Bumgarner as your one-two punch on the rotation. So it's time to beef up that lineup that hasn't been the same since they lost Paul Goldschmidt. Uh, I expect they sign either a Marcelo Zuna or a Nick Castellanos to uh, add some home runs back to that lineup. And then Dallas Keuchel. Keuchel's that you know that. B-tier, maybe C-tier pitcher right now because of his age and his mileage. I imagine the Braves want him back. I wonder if the Astros want him back too. 
I wonder that because obviously the Astros have to replace Garrett Cole. They can try to do that from within. They've, that's how they built themselves in the first place. Uh, I just I, I do think there's probably a free agent pitcher not long for Houston. Dallas would be a perfect number four, right? If that's what they need. I, I imagine there's a couple of kids that they can throw in that rotation to go with Verlander and Grinky. But Keuchel just makes a little bit of sense as a mid to later rotation guy for that team. So keep an eye on Houston and Dallas Keuchel. I mentioned Marcelo Zuna. Um, as free agency rolls on here, I'm getting less and less confident about him. His value is high. His numbers are great, but he's been a bit inconsistent, to, to be honest. And he's got a qualifying offer attached to him, which is draft compensation to go with it. So um, I, I worry that maybe there's not a deal for him until the, maybe a quarter of the way through the season, which we've seen before. And uh, uh, the past two seasons, we've seen it with Dallas Keuchel, of course, last year, Craig Kimbrough. Um, I wonder if Marcelo Zuna is on that track where he won't have a contract by the start of the season. We'll see. Keep an eye on that for sure. Uh, but there's plenty more money to be had, and many of these players are Scott Boris clients, by the way. So we will be updating our Scott Boris tracker <laughs> as it comes in for sure. But that's for agency update with Major League Baseball. Let's hop back into football to finish this thing off. I mentioned that we uh, I did a little breakdown of sort of the projected NFL playoff teams and, and how they're built. And, and I'll be perfectly honest with you, just in the research that I've done over the years with team spending, positional spending, and sort of who, how that translates into success and winning, um, of course it's jaded, right? If you've got a rookie quarterback, you can spend more money on your running backs and your linebackers. And if you've got a high-paid quarterback, you got to pull back on some positions accordingly. That's just life. That's just, that's budgeting. That's that's how you have to do things, right? Um, so there's a, a dichotomy of how these teams are, are, are built out. But what I'm looking for most is consistency. It's, it's what I look for every single year. And for 15 years, truly for 15 years, it has been the model of the Patriots. The Patriots are middle of the road in total spending, middle of the road in offensive spending, and middle of the road in defensive spending. That is not the case this year. It's just not the case. They are the third most expensive defense in football, according to cap, in, in terms of active cap numbers. All right? And it shows. Their defense has been literally dragging them through 2019. And they must have known it. Okay, They must have known this was how they were going to have to operate this year, whether it's they knew Tom Brady's deficiencies because he's 42, whether it's they struck out on a couple of, of weapons that they thought they would get, Antonio Brown's situation, of course, which came later, Josh Gordon, of course, came later. Um, but I, I wonder if they came into <clears throat> training camp this August just knowing, hey, we don't have much of an offense here. We better go and pump this defense up. And they did. They certainly did. Um, but it's to a level that we haven't seen before with the Patriots in this, in this regime. Um, it's just, you know, they're not top three in anything, to be perfectly honest. But right now they are number two in running back spending, and they are number three in defensive spending. So that's... Uh, it's a bit surprising. It's just a. Uh, it's just different. I'm not saying it's bad or good. I'm just saying for for them, over this regime, it's different. And take that for what you will. If you you think they're they're a different team on the field too? Fine. I think they are. I mean, I'm in Buffalo, so I'm biased, of course. And you know, I'm going to see them against the Bills in two days here. Uh, but I don't think anybody would argue that there's something a little off with this Patriots team right now. Certainly, it's the offensive side of the ball. Their offense is 15th in terms of uh, spending, which is about what they've always done, except for I just think the weapons they have right now aren't, aren't those same kind of weapons. 
and Tom Brady certainly isn't the same as Tom Brady. So uh, that's one of the standouts with these contenders. So who is in the middle of the road? Okay, I mean, you've got, you certainly you've got, you know, your massive defenses on this list. The Minnesota Vikings are the number one paid defense in football. They've got the number two quarterback spending in football, and they've got the number eight offensive spending in football. All right, they are the number one overall spending roster in terms of cap dollars in the league, in the NFL. Okay, the Rams are third, number three overall. The Packers are fourth. That might surprise some people. All right, high-paid quarterback, and they spent a ton of their defense this offseason. Um, so you've got one, three, and four heading to the postseason, most likely. Excuse, uh, excuse me, the Rams probably aren't going. They're in the conversation. That's why they're here. Uh, but one, three, and four on this list right now, I, it, just hasn't, it just hasn't worked out for Minnesota. I love the roster, and I love to watch them. You know, they're, they're sort of matter of fact. Kirk Cousins isn't going to do anything outstanding, but his numbers are, are huge. They're just huge. Um, so take it for what you will. It, maybe this is the year that they push through. Uh, but generally speaking, like I said, I'm looking for, for middle of the road. And the Vikings are high in everything right now, everything. So they don't qualify for this conversation because of it. So who's, who's there? Who's sort of in the teens, right, in the lower teens? Well, you've got your bills at 11. Okay, but they do have the fourth, the fourth most, um, the fourth most expensive defense. Again, it shows their defense is top three in the league, uh, and the offensive is 18th. Not just because of Josh Allen, but they got rid of LaShawn McCoy. Okay, Frank Gore is on a minimum contract essentially. The wide receivers are, you know, less than 10 million per year, and John Brown and Cole Beasley. Uh, just you know, value across the board. The tight ends are are rookies or Tyler Croft at a minimal a minimal average annual salary. So. Just none of the weapons are high-priced weapons. They they didn't go out and bring in any superstars, and I think they'll be the first to admit that. And they didn't pay any superstar money, so they're sort of in in the middle of the road right now, uh, sort of where you want to be. Like I said, that defense is a little bit higher priced than generally we you know I'm looking for in this conversation. Houston is the team. Houston's the team that is 23rd in offense, 14th in defense, and overall 20th. Okay. They're right on the outside of this threshold that I generally look for, right, right on the outside. Um, did they do enough offensively to lock it in? They did. In my opinion, they did. They got the left tackle they needed to keep Deshaun up, and he's been up. All right, this is a healthy year for Deshaun, knock on wood, okay? Uh, and certainly Deshaun's payday is coming. Hopkins is paid. Will Fuller just can't stay healthy. And to me, that's the X factor with all of this. They've gotten production out of Darren Fells on a nothing contract at the tight end position, after, if you remember, two of their tight ends basically had to fall off the roster. Um, so so they're getting the production. Kenny Stills, nice little year. He was thrown into the Tunzel deal, by the way. You know, they got a left tackle and a third wide receiver, and it's been great. That's been, that's been a big deal. And we laughed at it because of what they gave up for it. But if that's what it took to get these guys, then you can't laugh at them. You just can't laugh at them. I, we really shouldn't laugh at any team trying to get a starting left tackle because it's just – and a wide receiver, by the way, to boot. So – those are top five positions in football right now. You just have to have them. You have to have them. Uh, they didn't. Now they do. And they're successful because of it. Are they contenders? No. They're just not contenders. Like I said, if I'm using my little game here with positional spending to, to, to sort of rate how successful I, I think teams will be in the postseason, just because of I've been doing this for years and this is just sort of something I do, um, I think they're out right on the outside, right on the fringe. I think... They need to pump a little bit more into their offense and specific, and really their defense too. 
Um, they could stand, you know, to bring in one extra secondary player next year, in my opinion, and just shore that up. I like, I like what they have, but I think from a depth perspective and maybe just a slam dunk cornerback perspective, they could stand to do that. Um, another team is the Chiefs. They're just, look at, obviously they're, they're getting value in Mahomes. They, uh, they brought in a bad deal for LaShawn McCoy. It's only $3 million, but it's still $3 million they could have used elsewhere. I've said that before on the show. Um, Kelsey's fine. He's a monster. He's, he's George Kittle in a nutshell. Um, the wide receivers have been good. Tyreek Hill, when he's healthy, has been dominant. He's been the same player, even with the, with the new contract. Uh, that's been a big bright spot for Kansas City, for sure. But that defense, look, it's got better. They've settled in a little bit. But from a financial standpoint, 27th in the league. So that's all you have to look at. All right. I mean, they're going to, I hope they pay Chris Jones. I think that's the kind of player you keep. Uh, but there are some contracts that they could have, they could have done. They could have allocated some of this, their focus and their finance to the defense this offseason. And they did with Tyron Matthew. Okay. But they let D Ford walk. All right. They brought in Frank Clark. It's been fine. It's been fine. Okay. It's, I don't think it's moved the bar like they thought it was going to move the bar. But it certainly has been fine. Like I said, they've steadied the ship a little bit, but that's a deficiency. It's been a deficiency all year for them, and it is in the financial standing in a bow. Uh, they're 21st overall in, in roster spending, so take what you will for that. Here's the two teams I want to focus on without getting too long here. Baltimore is 18th overall. That's generally where the Patriots have been. I'm just going to put it out there. That number is essentially where the Patriots live, right under half right under half in terms of overall spending cap, cap spending for a year. That's, that's, that is the Patriots number. Okay. The Ravens are there now, right? They, uh, it's not pretty. It is one-sided. They're the eighth most expensive defense in football. They're the 27th most expensive offensive football. All right. Here's the difference. They made a ton of moves offensively. Okay. It just so happens that they got value on all of them, including Mark Ingram. All right. They just found value in all of them. And many of it was draft, okay? They're the, the two, they're two notable wide receivers drafted this year, brand new. Mark Andrews drafted two years ago, brand new, okay? Uh, just really smart stuff. They're still living on Ronnie Stanley's for, uh, rookie contract. You know, the, the interior of their off, uh, offensive line is veteran paid. So that's where some, most of the money goes to because certainly it's not going to Lamar right now, okay? <laughs> um, so when you look at the overall, generally speaking, it's average offense, average defense, average total. That's not how this team is built. It is very low offense, higher defense, and oh, by the way, the top paid special teams core in all football, and they have been for years. Justin Tucker is worth every penny of it, and the rest of the, the, rest of the special teams is just as good as well. Sam Cook, I believe, is their punter. It, it's, it's, been, it's been so good, it's been boring. You know what I mean? It's been so consistently reliable, it's not even worth talking about. Justin Tucker's been, he's a, I think he's a Hall of Fame kicker at this point already. Um, so they're number one in spending special teams. They have been for years. It's just how they operate. And uh, the rest of the things just sort of seem to be falling in place. But that number 18 overall spending number is a very, it's a glaring number to me. It's the Patriots number. And then if we look at 17, just so happens 17, the same conversation, just below half, is Seattle, okay? Seattle, the, the, an NFC team, they're now the number one seed in the NFC. We're, we're talking about the two number one seeds in the NFC and the AFCs respectively. Um, and, it, and, it, 
And this little tool that I've been using for years now sort of likes both of them. All right, we're talking number 17, Seattle, number 18, Baltimore. If I had to put money on it, two teams to be in the Super Bowl using this tool alone, those would be the two teams. Okay, Seattle does have the balance that I look for. 19th in offense, 17th in defense, 16th in special teams. That's how you get your 17th overall ranking right there. Uh, like I said, this is all jaded. There is no science behind this whatsoever. Russell Wilson's the highest paid quarterback in all of football. All right, everything else comes down from there. There's no wide receivers paid over 10 million. Excuse me, I think Lockett's a bit over 10 million. There's no tight ends approaching 10 million. There's no running backs approaching 10 million. All right, the offensive line is decently paid, but not well paid. All right, defense, you've got Clowney on $7 million essentially because of the trade that you, you were able to process for him. Okay, there's a lot of ins and outs and nitpickiness to, to discuss here. Every team has their own thing, right? I'm not, I'm not by any chance saying this is a scientific method to use. I'm saying this is something I've looked at every year, and generally speaking, a little below half seems to be pretty successful. That's Seattle. That's Baltimore. I want to thank Morgan Stanley. I want to thank The Athletic. We've got one more decade financial review to discuss, and it's the NBA. It's going to be a fun one. Oh, is there some money to talk about in the NBA? We were going to have Scott Allen and Kevin Sylvester for that show. Then we're going to have our year-end review, talking about all the most... Uh, the most popular searches, the most, uh, which teams reviewed the most on Track, which players reviewed the most, um, and just our, uh, our favorite stories and moments from Track's year that was. We'll have that show coming up as well as we sort of wrap up 2019. Thanks for listening. We'll be back soon with another edition of Track Podcast.